When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I am your host, Cameron Tepstabai. This episode of the Celtics Lab Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. I'm also here with Alex Goldberg. His band Divine Sweater is on tour. Check him out. And I'm here with Dr. Justin Quinn. He's not on tour, but you should check him out as well. We are going to dive into all of the rumbles, the rumors, the rumbles, the news, the noise, all of this free agency stuff that we're hearing about, all these trade rumors, all the draft, um, and try to make sense of it. And to do that, we have a very special guest, someone who really doesn't need an introduction, but I will say go check out his stuff on GQ, specifically about champagne. Mr. Tower Beck, how are you? Gentlemen, doing all right. How are you? Good to be with you. Yeah. uh, We thought this might be a boring episode, but, but... the NBA gods had a different plan because there's so much to talk about. A lot of it is hot air, but we'll get into that, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so, like I said, we'll talk about some of the off-season rumbles. We'll talk about the draft. And we'll talk about coaching hires for Boston. And then in the second half of the podcast, because we've got a bunch of teachers on the call, we're going to build a rubric for the Celtics off-season. So we don't have grades yet, but instead we're going to uh, practice some equity we're going to figure out how do we make it fair for assessment ahead of time. How's that? So, Mr. Beck, the Boston Celtics have added Charles Lee and Sam Cassell to their coaching staff. Um, I'm going to ask you this in two parts. First, do you think criticism of Joe Missoula and his staff uh, was fair or foul during the, the past season? And what do you think of this new look staff uh, looking forward? So on the first part of it, um... I, I don't want to get overly cute here, but it's hard to criticize or be too critical of a staff of Missoula that wasn't a staff of Missoula, right? Yeah. Like Joe Missoula did not actually have the opportunity to interview for a job, accept the job, be hired, assemble a staff, assemble a plan, have a training camp, just put in all. It didn't happen that way. Joe Missoula was elevated on the fly um, amidst amidst crisis on the eve of the season, essentially under the most difficult of circumstances. And so to me, and granted, listen, easy for me to say, I'm not a Celtics fan who has to worry about, uh, you know, all the ups and downs of the season and all the things that, that he might not have done as well as hoped. But I just think like he deserves a little bit of, of grace given the circumstances. It's important to be able to hire your own staff. Like these things matter. We, a lot of the things that we oversimplify in NBA discourse we focus focus uh, so much on stars that we sometimes forget that, oh, yeah, you need good role players around them. They can't do it by themselves. And it's no different with the coaching staff. Um, Greg Popovich is, is is amazing. He's a legend. Eric Spolstra is fantastic. Michael Malone finally getting his due, um, having won the championship with the Nuggets. Steve Kerr, anybody else you could think of. All of these guys, watch the timeouts. They're never just sitting there just drawing up a play. They're going straight to their assistants. They're talking. And that's just in games. And we don't see most of what a head coach 
or a coaching staff does. The vast majority of what they do is in shoot arounds and practices and meetings and film sessions. And that's also a reason why I, I, I feel like it's a little harsh just to say, well, Joe Mazzula waits too, too long to call timeouts or he doesn't call any timeouts. Although some of the memes on Twitter were funny about that. Um, rotation criticisms that people have out of timeout plays. All these other things is such a, a small percentage of the, the job. And the press conference too, which I, as a member of the media, I will you know be first to say like not the greatest performance and it doesn't inspire confidence, <laughs> but it's, it's not necessarily a reflection on his capabilities. Um, although I do think it betrayed a certain, uh, you know, insecurity, frankly. Um, anyway, the shorter version of that answer is, I think he deserves a chance to hire his own staff, and now he's getting that. You mentioned Sam Cassell, and you mentioned Charles Lee. Obviously, Sam Cassell, championship experience in Boston. Sam Cassell, longtime assistant with multiple coaches and multiple franchises. Very highly regarded. Was a really smart player, high basketball IQ back in the day. Good communicator. Good, good overall. Dude. I don't know Sam well chatted with him maybe a couple times over the years but i mean he's a guy who's like uh very easy for i think um everybody to 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 relate to communicate with just because he's got a really easygoing and funny personality he's he's uh just a, a, a warm guy um charles lee i don't know at all but he has been you know in coaching circles for years um named as somebody who was the assistant to keep an eye on who was rising the ranks, who was going to get a head coaching job before too long and who interviewed for another couple of spots this cycle before joining Missoula's staff. So they have fortified the staff. He's gotten to pick his own guys. He's going to have a whole off season to prepare and a training camp to, to do his thing and install his stuff or do it his way. He's had time now for the team to get used to him as a different personality than Emi Udoka. And you know, that to me, that's the, the big picture view of this, that, or at least the, the lens that I see it through. And and by the way, just like, and I know you guys know this well, but, and your listeners, I'm sure know this well too, but like at the time that Missoula's, uh, you know, promoted, um, not only does he not get to hire anybody, but they didn't backfill anybody either. And then they lose Damon Stoudemire mm -hmm. along the way, and he was kind of important. So I just, I, you know, he was, he was handicapped in a, a 15 different ways from the get-go. Yeah, the the word choice insecurity is interesting. I always felt like talking to a Missoula, he was developing a shtick um, rather than overcompensating. Hmm. But I suppose there's a permutation now where basically Boston has three qualified head coaches. And I do wonder if there, there's parlor politics that get involved if Missoula does feel insecure in his position. Um, so that's an interesting thought. I, I'm sure we don't know enough to really diagnose it, though. I mean, um, look, I, the insecurity that I don't want to overuse that word, but it's it's more like this is just an impression I get as a reporter, right, from from just doing this job for a long time. When someone who otherwise like, there's two ways to, to interpret it when somebody has very short clipped answers. Maybe there's more than two ways. There's probably a bunch of ways. But among the ways to to interpret that when I'm talking to somebody, if they have short clipped answers, um, they may just want to not give anything away. That's one possibility. And coaches, of course, are all of them are are uh, famously secretive and guarded um, at times. But you can be guarded and still give an answer that feels a little bit more meaningful than just simply it was a coach's decision or that's just something mm -hmm. we want to do or um, we just need to make shots or whatever, you know, fill in the blank, you know, crap that you can throw in there, you know, coach speak. There's a way to do this in a way that that gives people a sense that you're respecting the question. Because that's the question is not just mine or people in the room. It's it's the question, presumably, of fans. We ask the questions that we think the fans would want 
to know the answers to, right? That's part of the job. Um, and so I I don't think he means to be disrespectful when he's giving the clipped or or non-answers, but it, it, could come, it could come across that way or it can come across as insecurity. Insecure, insecurity being, if I don't feel comfortable enough, secure enough of my job to explain something even in a way that's still guarded. You can explain and be guarded at the same time. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, it's fair to read it as you don't you you aren't comfortable. You are you are feeling a little insecure and I wouldn't blame him for that. The guy was on the back of the bench, 34 years old, you know, um promoted in, in amidst crisis, would not have been their first choice if they could have if if they if they if this crisis had happened in in June or July the outcome is different. When was Will Hardy hired in Utah, right? Like that's, you know, there are, there are other ways this could have gone. And if it wasn't Will Hardy, maybe they just would have thrown it open to a full search. So yeah. I, I wouldn't blame him for being, being a little insecure, but you can handle it better than that. If you want to project a certain amount of confidence and, and inspire that in the fan base, who's watching you on TV again, all of which is, is, is not to say that that means what, that's how he was in the locker room. His, his, demeanor with his players i'm sure is vastly different than what is with us and everything that, I, that i've heard is that his demeanor is vastly different with people that he knows and trusts on a one-to-one -one level um including in the media so it's just the press conferences that made him come off that way i think just one quick thing to add on and then i think we should probably jump to our next topic but you know with regard to missoula and insecurity uh being a possibility you know which i think howard to your point makes a lot of sense given his position um one thing to keep in mind to get back to this earlier point about like the possible insecurity of being you know a pressurized head coach very young in this kind of weird situation with two pretty experienced assistants behind you who presumably will be up for head coaching gigs themselves fairly soon i would imagine that uh sam cassell and charles lee will not be in boston for a tremendous amount of time um but you know one of the things that i think that that could lead to some insecurity but in some ways i think that might actually be a valuable thing for missoula to kind of develop and grow in that space because the reality of being a head coach in the NBA is that you're going to lose assistance. You're going to have people who are really qualified on your staff uh, who are going to do a good job. And if your team has success, other teams are going to look at them for head coaching vacancies. And, you know, I think back to this playoffs and the thing that, you know, really kind of stands out to me in the wake of Denver's triumph in the finals is the patience and growth of Michael Malone as a head coach is really something that I think Missoula and others can and should look to as a model for like how to really kind of grow into your role as a head coach. Cause I think Malone, you know, Malone had definitely had a few kind of in early in like his King's career, he had a few kind of weird press conference interactions. He definitely was not fully seasoned right out of the gate. And he, you know, was a legitimate hire. It's not like he was tossed into the role like Missoula was. Um, and to see him, over the course of, you know, a decade or so developing into this really comfortable, confident head coach who knows his team super well, who just made great decision after great decision throughout the playoffs and just had, I, I think, genuinely done a really terrific job building a culture in Denver. It, it might be a kind of thing where, yeah, Missoula might be a little uncomfortable, but that that might actually be part of this. That might just be part of how he has to be and how life as a head coach in the NBA is. 
Yeah, and look, I'm so sorry. Just on top of everything else, at least you know, like you bring up Michael Malone. When Michael was in Sacramento, it's, it's the Kings. The expectations are low. He did have some challenges, certainly. Demarcus Cousins not the easiest guy in the world, but he, they actually had a good relationship. And if they hadn't fired Michael Malone, dumbly at the time, they might have had a better you know ending with Demarcus. Anyway, um, Michael's a very outgoing person. I've known him since he was he was an assistant with the Knicks when I first got to New York in 2004. And I think being outgoing helps. It can also be a drawback if you get a little bit too loose. And and I think, you know, sometimes he does. I appreciate that because I appreciate the guys who don't mind showing their personality and who are more just candid with us in general. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a media person. I want I want to get the, the, the realest version of you as possible and the best answers as possible. But I also just think that that's his personality. He's he's it's a he's very outgoing. He's a New Yorker <laughs> um, and he grew up in coaching. You know, uh, you know, Michael's father, Brendan, was a coach in the NBA for, for for a long time, too. But he still had to, to your point, he still had to kind of grow into it. He still had to find a comfort zone and he could do it in the relative anonymity of Sacramento, where there was no pressure, no expectations and not much media. Missoula has all the expectations of the world taking over a team that just made the finals and pretty tough media and a pretty tough market and a pretty big market with the biggest of expectations. So again, I, you know, I, that all of which is to say, that's why I, I think he deserved a little uh, grace along the way. Yeah. And it's only year one of this experiment. I will say Howard, to your point, just juxtaposing him versus Quinn Snyder, Doc Rivers, and then Spolstra, three guys who are really media savvy. Uh, it was a tough look for Missoula, but I also kind of understand where he's coming from. I also think he's just a weird, intense guy. And I like that may also people. be the case, right? Like that's the impression I get from a distance, kind of weird and intense. Um, but I'm told like he is a much looser person one-on-one, -on -one, like just socially and everything else. So look, what other thing I actually, I, I like to point this out all the time. We, somebody becomes a, a superstar in the NBA because of their talent, right? You're just, you're a great scorer. You're a great playmaker. You're whatever it doesn't mean that you actually are good at the stuff that comes with that, but you don't have a choice about the other stuff. The other stuff being public appearances and endorsements and dealing with the media and speaking on behalf of the team. And if you're, 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 you are uh, categorized as the leader because you are the best player, it doesn't mean you actually have natural leadership abilities or spokesperson abilities, right? So we see Jokic is kind of bashful. Tim Duncan hated doing stuff hated doing the media he didn't dislike the media Duncan's just like he just didn't didn't like talking period about himself or about anything other than like the basics it's just the way he's wired um different than you know a, a Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or you know LeBron James like so just because you're great at what you do and then you're thrust into a position where you're out front doesn't mean you're comfortable in that position so Missoula may be brilliant with the X's and O's and and also maybe one-on-one -on -one player relationships being good at the press conference or the the media relations part of it and other front uh, you know forward facing parts of the job sometimes have to be learned along the way you may not be a natural at that aspect of it um it's not part of coaching but it's part of the responsibilities of being a head coach in the nba no definitely i mean i'm your, i'm in your i guess four of being a classroom teacher and they're interpersonal things i'm really good at but sometimes the the stuff up the front being the face of the franchise I'm still learning, uh, certainly. So anyways, uh, let's do this. Let's pause the action, talk about our friends over at FanDuel, and then has this for a tease. We're going to tap Dr. Quinn in, and um, he's going to explain why the Celtics will not be trading for Bradley Beal. Oh, um, boy. Well, hold on. Yeah, so you you get you rev your engines. Speaking of which, 
Um, Alex, you're headed to Montreal this weekend. That's where the F1 is having the Montreal Grand Prix. We got the WNBA going. We got the sad Red Sox and the MLB going. And that means that there's plenty of action on FanDuel, even though the NBA season is over. So head to FanDuel today and make sure to drop a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet on F1, WNBA, MLB, or anything else than America's number one sports book. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager only. A $10 deposit is required. Refunds are issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step 253342 for Arizona. Call 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Go to gamblinghelpma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Guys, that was the best FanDuel ad read I've ever done. I'm so proud <laughs> of, of myself. That was, I just, that was my flu game. Okay, um, Dr. Quinn, why aren't the Boston Celtics trading for Bradley Beal this summer? So if any of our listeners are not familiar with the details of the new collective bargaining agreement that are a very significant factor. I'm assuming most of you listening are familiar, but if you are not, listen to our last episode with Yassi Goslin where we talked about that. And I double checked with him today just to see if there was any kind of, you know, like signing and trading Grant Williams plus Malcolm Brogdon and other parts and what whatever. And really, it just comes down to the same thing. We are already looking at a fraught path to keeping two Supermax players on this roster in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who are either eligible. They're both eligible now, and one will get one for the season after this coming season, and then another for the season after that. <coughs> Excuse me. When those kick in, it will be very hard to surround them with the kind of players they need to compete for a title. You add in another Supermax deal, even if ownership is willing to pay that, you are really, really hamstrung. And you'll be hamstrung sooner because Beal is already on that deal now, uh, making, you know, getting under the tax potentially this season a lot harder. Uh, that's really the short version. The other alternative would be trading Jalen Brown. Uh, I don't think most of us would agree that this would be a, the very best outcome would be a lateral move. So even though, that is a very sexy uh, thing to bet on from what I'm hearing uh, in those circles, uh, not the fan duel. Realistically, if Celtics fans want to see something from this Washington Wizards teardown or partial teardown or retool or whatever they're going to do, uh, they should hope that uh, Kyle Kuzma opts into the last se- last year of his current deal, making him eligible to be moved to a team like Boston. If, if he's a sign-in trade, it's just not going to happen for other reasons we can discuss later on if you like. Sure. In a second, Howard, I'm going to go to you and ask for your favorite Beal teams. But Alex, because Justin said the secret word, Kyle Kuzma, give us 30 seconds on Kyle Kuzma. 
So um, Kyle Kuzma has a player option, which many people expect uh, he will not opt into. Uh, I think that he is going to be available as an unrestricted free agent next year if he does not take that option. Um, and Kyle Kuzma is, I think, a really intriguing trade target. Uh, if he does opt into that deal, um, he would be at, I think, around 13 million, something like that for this year. Uh, and then, you know, available next year. This is a really impressive, solid 3 and D wing player uh, in a league that is perilously short on those guys. Um, he has championship experience and he's just been kind of getting better every year of his career for the most part. Even in a not great wizard situation last year, Kuzma showed visible improvements to his game and has really emerged as a premier wing defender in a league that, again, desperately needs more wing defenders. Um, so if the Celtics were to take a gamble on trading for a player like Kyle Kuzma, that would be presumably to uh, the effect of trading like Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams, some other kind of combination of those players. Uh, and then I, I would hope with the attempt to kind of re-sign him as a long-term solution at the three or four to completely solidify their wing rotation of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, you know, Al Horford, I think, is playing quite well, and it doesn't seem like he's going to be in a position where he's going to age out of being a starting level player anytime soon. But um, having Kuzma as the kind of heir apparent in that role could be an intriguing play. I, I, I will be candid in saying that I think it's pretty unlikely that the Celtics will do that for a variety of reasons, but... That's the name that I was looking at on the Wizards that I think might be a more realistic possibility and potentially a better fit as well. Sure. All right, Mr. Beck, you're up. You can pick the Boston Celtics if you like, but give us uh, a few Bradley Beal trade candidates. It's so, 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 so hard because his contract is so, 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 so ridiculously large. Um, and the new CBA is going to make this even harder. So... You look at some obvious candidates, right? Like you guys have already talked about why he doesn't really fit or or how difficult it would be to get him to the Celtics, like unless you're trading Jalen Brown. And I don't think anyone's trading Jalen Brown for, for Bradley Beal. Um, he makes sense for the Bucks, but I, I'm not sure there's a path there. Once upon a time, and I'm just going to go down the, the standings and, and tell you teams that leap out to me as I do this sure. off the top of my head, because I hadn't really thought too much about where Beal could go. No, um, I, I I jumped this on you, so that's fair. <laughs> totally, totally cool. No worries. Um once upon a time, and this is like three years ago at least, um, before Ben Simmons had all of his weirdness in Philly, um, I want I was I very much advocated for a Ben Simmons Bradley Beal swap. I said that on a couple podcasts a few years ago because the Wizards had really run their course and weren't getting anywhere. And you know, this is like two extensions ago for Beal, I think. Um, and I thought Beal and Embiid together would be amazing. And this is obviously long before they got hardened. Um, who they might lose, and then maybe they're a destination again. But uh, you know, the sounds as of right now it doesn't sound like the Sixers have interest. Um, and Simmons would have been a great guy to rebuild around, at least at that time for Washington. So I don't think Philly's is is uh logical here. Um, the Heat, Heat have been uh thrown mm -hmm. out there already by several people. I, they make a lot of sense again in terms of. They really need some scoring. Like they just, there's just so little scoring punch on that team. And, and, you know, you saw that show up in the finals, you know, the nuggets are not like some, you know, uh, you know, you know, defensive dynamo. Um, the nuggets were, you know, middle of the package during the regular season, but the, the heat just don't have much punch and it's to their immense credit that they managed to, to get to the finals in the first place. 
Um, I have not played with trade machines in in various places to to see how you get Beal there, but um, I like Beal with the Heat. It's the right fit, and it's the right look. Like they're a team that needs to take a chance. Like his contract is brutal. The no trade clause comes with it. So even once he reproves a trade, now he has to prove a trade again. If you ever want to deal him later, um, his age and injury history are all alarming. Like I, there's a lot of teams that I don't think would want anything to do with him, or, or or even if they were intrigued, wouldn't want to do it just because of the contract and age and injury situations alone. Um, but the Heat have a window here with Jimmy Butler, and it's not going to last forever, especially as, as taxing a, a game as he plays. So they might be top of my list. I mean, as I, you know, you go further down the standings, like the rebuilding teams aren't going to be in the business for Bradley Beal. Um, you know, Nuggets, no Grizzlies, no Kings, no Suns, no Clippers, probably not. Um, love him with the Warriors. Don't know how they'd get him. Um, <laughs> and again, the Warriors have, along with the Clippers, the biggest problem of all with this new CBA in terms of, of how big their payroll already is. So good luck figuring that out. He'd be great for the Lakers. Again, same problem. So like you, you go through the logical landing places and it's really not that, that easy. Like it's great that the wizards finally, it's, it's great that I should say Ted Leonsis, the owner finally is giving his new front office, uh, the, um, freedom to remake this roster as they see fit, something that I don't think he did for the previous front offices when it came to Bradley Beal. But he's doing it at a time when they've really put themselves in the, the toughest possible position. And I, I I think the Wizards will be lucky just to get anything useful at all out of this deal other than simply freeing themselves from the contract. I've heard a little bit about uh, some Kings chatter, which to your point, I don't think makes any sense. I, I'm looking at their roster and I don't see how they could match the salary effectively. Uh, the Bucks have also been mentioned with them, which makes a little bit more sense if they aren't super uh, confident in Chris Middleton in the future. But at least for now, uh, I would really lean towards keeping him in terms of just positional balance. It's really hard to find wings uh, of his size. So it, finding the actual landing place for for Bradley Beal is a lot harder than the the uh, fun trade machine dreaming that's you know kind of enveloping the NBA media sphere as we search for some somewhere to plug in now that the finals are over. Yeah, if he was even making like thirty instead of whatever <laughs> it was, maybe yeah. forty seven, whatever the number is. I mean, it's and it's just going to keep going up into the fifties. Like, ee, I, I just I don't even know. I I don't know how you pull it off right now. Um, and, and even like the Bucks thing, like they're probably just going to resign Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and run it back. And, and if you lose Middleton, you know, like you don't, if you lose Middleton, you don't even, I don't even know how you construct a trade and you're not doing a sign and trade with him to, to wash it. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't know where the path is and, and that's going to be, you're going to run into this over and over and over again with all these teams. Um, so yeah. Um, good luck to Michael Winger and his staff. <laughs> I mean, Two things on that. First of all, I think Dame Lillard poses a similar problem. He's a great player, but the amount of money uh, and the lack of defense is troubling. Um, it also begs another point, which we have in our list uh, of things we want to talk about, which is a lot of the things that people are seeing, and let's be frank, we're talking about Twitter, uh, are, are fun to talk about, and, and it's nice fat to chew, but it doesn't really make sense in the real world. For example, the Boston Celtics have the best odds to sign Nikola Vucevic and the seventh best odds to land DeAndre Ayton. And to say nothing of how sports books work, 
the exercise that you just did, let me just pull up the standings and go through Beal teams. Suddenly the the logistics of it all, there's not much there there. It's just a little too difficult. So um, that's something we wanted to say on this podcast is everyone enjoy silly season, but, you know, tread cautiously because there's so much that sounds really fun and exciting. And then suddenly the, the reality of the situation is yeah, impossible it- to ignore. Also, don't don't base any of your uh, water cooler debates about where players are landing based on odds from random places because the stuff makes absolutely no sense. Like uh, anyway, uh, also I hope nobody's betting on those things because that's ridiculous. If they are, they should use Fanduel. Um, For sure. Okay, t- <laughs> let Literally. me just mention two things in the news, and then the other stuff we wanted to get to, we can get to in the lab portion of the programming. Um, Danilo Gallinari opted into his $6.8 million player option. I think we knew that that was coming. There's there's a lot to enjoy about that. Also some flexibility if you want to open the trade machine, I suppose. And then also next Thursday, so a week from today, Boston has the 35th pick in the NBA draft. Uh, Justin, just quickly, because I know you, you feel strongly about this. Another, Justin, pour some cold water on us. Why aren't they making a draft day trade? Well, they might make them a draft day trade, but if they do, it's going to be into the lottery because, again, to talk about the new CBA, uh, you really don't want to end up picking in the lottery to end of the first round range because it's guaranteed money. And you don't want, you know, five-ish million dollars, give or, give or take, depending on where they fall in the draft, falling into your books if you're not really sure that this guy is likely to become a playable uh, option anytime soon. Right. So a lot of teams are actually going to want to be drafting, if not in the lottery, uh, even if it's in the lower lottery in the top of the second round, because then the, the contracts aren't, aren't going to be guaranteed. And say, say you pick a guy who is a dud, uh, then you won't have to, you know, not like qualify offer the guy to get rid of him uh, and try to get off of him sooner because you don't have the, the time or the patience or the money to develop these younger players. So this new CBA, among many other uh, areas, is it has a lot of things that teams are going to be acting really differently, and this is going to be one of them, most likely. Yeah, and Boston just happens to be one of those teams that where they were on their timeline are being affected. There are teams on the up and up that actually probably benefit from these changes. Um, all right, <clears throat> I'm going to pause the action. I'm going to talk about our friends over at BetterHelp, and then we will hop into the Celtics lab, and uh, we'll talk about the offseason with a little more specificity. Um Actually, for a better help ad reader, I want to revisit Joe Missoula. I think the idea of, you know, being professionally stuck in the mud. Again, we I, I scantily know Joe Missoula. I think, Howard, you'd say the same thing. But I think we can agree, you know, there were times where he might have been surprised at how he was presenting at work. And feeling like you're not doing your best at work is a really familiar experience. All four of us in different capacities have had that. And that can be really challenging it's not necessarily clear that you the people you work with or work for are, are able to support you in that so as part of the broader trend of of products like better help helping you with the lifelong process of growing and changing and get to know yourself uh professional challenges could be paramount and i guess it's top of mind for me because the school year is wrapping and i'm doing all these evals and stuff so um sincerely we love partnering with better help we think it's a great product it starts with an online survey you get paired with a licensed therapist and importantly you can switch at any time for no additional cost. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash lab today and get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash lab. 
Uh, speaking of coaches, Mike Malone at the parade today is just tremendous, uh, tremendous fun. Okay, Mr. Beck, we are teachers who cover the, the Celtics. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to build a rubric for this offseason with your help. So ahead of time, if you want to give a project or a piece of homework or something to make sure you're grading fairly, but also to not incur the wrath of parents through email, you want to have a rubric. So it's clear. These are the things we're looking for. This is what success looks like. This is what not success looks like. Um, and we're shooting for that success. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of keep it in a, a binary. This was successful. This is not so successful rather than do letter grades. It's a little too complicated, but you and Alex, will talk about the front office, you and Justin, uh, and the coaching staff, you and Justin, will talk about the starters and time permitting. We'll, you and I will talk about the supporting cast, but Mr. Beck, you're going to help us build an off season rubric. So oh boy, I'm not sure if, if I'm, uh, ready for this responsibility feels, feels like a lot. I, I, uh, but I will try my best. I will try so my we, best. I hope this is a pass fail thing. Like I don't, well, I don't, uh, the grades, like it just, it, it, my self-esteem may not be able to take it. So. Well, Howard, I went to new college of Florida and we didn't have grades in my hippie college. We just had a pass fail format with a phenomenal. contract. Love it. So, Love it. And Howard, you know, for what it's worth, um, I have my students design rubrics for their own projects. Cause I'm a weird, funky teacher like that. So um, I, I have plenty of experience with this. Um, you're going to be fine. You get to design the rubric how you want to do it. So if you're a pass fail guy, make it pass fail. If you're a five point guy, make it five points. Do whatever feels best. Um, so in terms of what looks like success or failure for the Celtics uh, heading into next year, um, kind of what's been done, what hasn't been done. Um, the first thing that I think a is on a lot of Celtics fans' minds is um, the kind of various front office moves that they will need to, uh, or the, the various kind of team building moves that the front office will need to make. Um, and so to that end, I am wondering if you're trying to build a rubric for the Jalen Brown extension, what constitutes success? What constitutes failure? Let's start with that one. Wow. Um, I'm going to take the numbers out of this. Right. And I know that this is aimed at the numbers, but I'm going to take the numbers out of this. And I'm going to say that success is re-signing Jalen Brown or signing signing Jalen Brown to an extension that makes Jalen Brown um, feel appreciated enough without necessarily being the full extent of the Supermax. And I don't know if what I just said is actually uh, uh, even reasonable or realistic. Um, when you get, when you're eligible for a Supermax in this league, you've, you've done something that, you know, you've, you've, you've triggered it based on hitting certain things, including all NBA. Um, and everybody who hits that threshold then feels they're worthy of that, that salary. We can all sit here and talk about, well, Jalen Brown, but if you're making this and Jason Tatum's going to make this and we've got all these other guys, and if you want to win championships and blah, 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 every player, every agent, everybody on that side of that negotiating table is going to say every time, that's not my problem. This is what I'm worth. If you don't think I'm worth this, then maybe you should consider moving me somewhere where they do. That sucks. Uh, unfortunately, if you're the Celtics front office or if you're a Celtics fan, um, because what you'd rather have is guys taking a little less so that you can keep adding or whatever. Not the world we live in. Um, so it's delicate. It, it, this, this will be like 
Brad Stevens has done a phenomenal job and he's got some really smart people with him there, you know, Mike Zarin and, and, and others. And he's, and they've made some very smart, savvy moves over the last few years. Those are going to be like a, almost a cakewalk compared to this because Jalen Brown to me does not profile as an automatic supermax guy. Like he is by definition, but he's not by how comfortable are you giving? Like when it's LeBron James in his prime, you don't think twice, right? When it's Steph Curry in his prime, you don't think twice. When it's Kevin Durant in his prime, you don't think twice. With Jalen Brown, you have to think twice. He's not that level. And, you know, it's part of the issue that we've gotten into in the NBA over the last couple of decades, ever since they created a max salary of any kind, and now super maxes and other versions of it, is that everybody who's eligible for it and who is among the, the the top players in the league immediately say, well, I should get whatever I'm eligible for. I'm a top X percent player, but they're not all created equally. And so um, I think Jalen Brown has signaled multiple times, somewhat subtly, and he has certainly sent the message, I think, through other channels, because I've heard this from people around the league, that he thinks he could be the, the number one on a, on a team. And part of the the indecision or the um, uncertainty about his future prior to him being eligible for the Supermax was about, does he just want to be somewhere else where he can be more of the guy? And I don't blame him for that. A lot of a lot of players feel that at various times in their careers. Um, but if you feel like you're the guy or could be the guy, you definitely think you're eligible for the full Supermax. So um, I think probably they have no choice but to go all the way with it. Um, and it's going to put them in a bind. So then I would assume that the failure option based on your description for the Celtics Jalen Brown extension uh, question is they fail to extend Jalen Brown and he basically walks in free agency Would that that would be considered a failure in your eyes. Worse in the short term, he's he's probably feeling a little put out about the fact that he was not offered the full supermax. Um, yeah. That's the tough. That's the delicate aspect of this. This is why I say it's the toughest thing that Brad Stevens will have faced since he became what is he GM team president. Both um, like you're you're you know whatever the fancy title is like this is a lot harder than hey let's bring back Al Horford. Would you say that a passing grade would be giving Jalen Brown the full Supermax extension, even in spite of the fact that it would make the Celtics front office queasy? Yeah. No, it, that that's, and this is why, yeah, neither I nor the Celtics front office want to have actual grades. Um, passing <laughs> grade, because listen, you draft a guy, you develop a guy, he turns into one of the best players in the league. Keeping him should be the priority. And if you kept him, you've won. But there are Pyrrhic victories in this league when it comes to winning and keeping a guy. Sure. Go ask the Washington Wizards and Bradley Beal. <laughs> so um, pivoting now to another aspect of the front office, and we've talked about this one already a little bit, but with regard to hiring additional supporting staff and filling out the rest of Joe Missoula's uh, coaching staff uh, as we kind of continue down that path, what would constitute a success? What would constitute a failure for you? This one's hard. Um, coaching staffs are, try are, are, are a little hard to assess. Um, for all the reasons that we, we discussed earlier about how much we don't see. But I mean, if you had asked me a month ago what success would look like, I'd probably say something to the effect of like, you know, getting a couple of, of top assistants who are really promising and who have a great track record and are really well regarded and well respected. And they just did. The only other thing I would have said if I were mapping this out in the abstract would be like, you know what? Sometimes when you have a super young coach, it's great to get a former head coach on his staff. Um, Del Harris played that role for Avery Johnson in Dallas. I think Del played that role for Vinny Del Negro, maybe too, in Chicago. Um, so, like having a, a former head coach, you know, Scott Brooks 
over, uh, you know, hired by by Portland to Chauncey Billups staff um, because Chauncey was a rookie head coach. Like, I think when you're a rookie head coach or just really young, it's it's good to have an old head who's who's been there and done that. You know, it can be a double edged sword because it can also be perceived as, oh, that's the guy in waiting in case we need to fire you. Right. And that's what happened when, you know, so Lloyd Pierce gets his first head coaching job in Atlanta. Nate McMillan's on his staff. And lo and behold, a couple of years later, they're firing Lloyd and promoting Nate McMillan. Um, it can go that way, too. But I, I think, you know, I think Joe Mazzullo could, could maybe if, if there's one more piece missing, maybe maybe another veteran, you know, an old head and maybe somebody who's already been head coached enough times that you're not worried about them being the guy who's coming in because they want the top job. That, I think, would be music to Cameron's ears, given some of the names that he's talked about uh, in previous podcasts, mustachioed coaches who like to run fast offenses, for example, and things like that. Um, but yeah, no. So that's that's interesting. Um, I guess my yeah. You, you kind of already answered that. Um, so let's let's move then, I guess, to additional moves that the Celtics front office can make. Um what would constitute success in your eyes with regard to the Celtics guard depth? There's been a lot of chatter in Boston media circles that um, one of Boston's kind of four guards will probably be moved this offseason to shore up other areas on the roster between Peyton Pritchard, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, and Marcus Smart. Um, what would you say constitutes a success, a successful managing of the guard, of the kind of guard logjam? And what would constitute a failure in your eyes? The interesting thing about this discussion is, <laughs> I'm going to do the, if you'd asked me two months ago thing again. <laughs> um, I may I may use that device too often. Sorry. That's fine. Um, if you'd asked me two months ago, if you'd asked anybody around the league two months ago, not only were the Celtics, I think, a consensus favorite or at worst co-favorite to win the championship and certainly to win the East, but they were the team that was regarded as by far the most complete the deepest, the most talented across the board, whatever, however you want to frame it, one through 10, one through 12, whatever. Everybody felt that. Uh, I believed that. And the thing is, I still believe that, right? So they, they the, the, the postseason was a failure. Um, they gagged. But I, there wasn't a single moment where I looked at it and went, man, they just don't have enough talent to keep up with the Sixers or the Heat. <laughs> um, never thought it. Um, this, is, this is a team where... Either there's something off chemistry wise. If a team has, in, so back up in the abstract, you look at a team, you look at it on paper, you see all the talent and you see they've checked a bunch of the boxes in terms of like depth of this position and that position. They've got shooting, they've got some size, they've got defense, they've got this, they've got that. And you don't see any glaring thing missing, but then they underachieve. There's only a few different explanations. One could be chemistry. So there's something internal going on, or maybe it's just that you're leading guys aren't ready for the moment or just still haven't, you know, and then they're right. Like there's plenty of, of discussion of that aspect of it. Maybe Tatum and Jalen Brown just haven't gotten there yet individually or as a tandem. Um, maybe it's just the next step in their growth, but like, there's not a single moment where I looked at them and said, like, this is a team that is getting, it's getting uh, outplayed by a team based on talent. They they've got the talent. So like I trying to assess what a successful off season is in terms of the roster is like, I don't know, man. I think it could, unless there's some actual weird chemistry thing, some personality thing, relationships that are broken that we're just not aware of, and I'm not, unless it's that, 
I'd be inclined to just like say running it back is, is, is a success because they should just grow from failure, which by the way is how plenty of teams have gotten there, right? The Bulls had to get their butts kicked a bunch of times before Michael started finally winning championships. I covered the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Sorry to invoke the Lakers on this podcast. Starting in 1997, I watched them get their butts kicked by the Jazz. I watched them get their butts kicked by the by the Spurs. I watched them get swept multiple times. And they finally got their shit together and, and, and figured out how to win. Sometimes it's just a matter of that. Sometimes we we all sit out here playing with trade machines and trying to figure out who to get, who to offload and whatever. And sometimes it's just a matter of, you know what? They just need more time to figure it out. They're just not there yet. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a fair way to approach the Celtics. For sure. Do, all right. I do think that there is a little bit of interest in rebalancing the roster. The front court situation is clearly not going to be functional. And then there's like the cap issues, which kind of bleeds into some of the other stuff we've been talking to. Uh, some of the chatter that we've heard about, like Isaiah Stewart and uh, the Indiana Pacers being interested in Grant Williams. Like these are things that I think are going to play into it. But at least from where we sit now, I think it's going to be really hard to judge what success looks like without knowing exactly what they're trying to do with regards to that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the, the guard glut that you guys alluded to earlier um, I like all those guys pretty much like, and they all, they're all a little different. Um, and they may not have the luxury for very long of keeping them all because of, you know, payroll tax concerns and, and all that other shit, but it's a good group. Um, I've often thought, I know this is a sticky subject. I've often thought they just needed more playmaking. Like I liked the Brogdon acquisition because even though he's not like your prototypical playmaking point guard, he's a improvement in my mind over Marcus smart. I, I never, never, never bought into Marcus smart as 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 frontline point guard, right? Like I think he's come a long way. All credit to him. Admire the hell out of him as a player and all the other things that he brings to the table. Um, I think he's an essential part of 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 their personality and their obviously their defense, their grit. Their he's he's a leader. He, you know, he's he's forceful. Like I I love everything about Marcus Smart, but I just don't think he's a point guard, frankly. And so I thought Brogdon could maybe, you know. Be that glue guy on some level, holding guys accountable, but also like, no, sorry, Jason, you're like, you're a little off in your own world right now. Um, I'm, 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 I'm getting this, you know, this, this one's going to Grant Williams, whatever. Like, that's what a point guard does, right? Judgment calls, keeping guys involved, deciding when to to feed your star and when not to. Um, and I just don't think Marcus Smart's a, a natural playmaker as, as far as he's come um, in that regard. Uh, and so, if anything. And you can't keep adding, right? So if you're swapping out a piece, maybe you're swapping out Brogdon or Pritchard, and maybe you're getting you. Can you find a, a Mike Conley type out there? I don't know. Um, Mike Conley is, is now my stand-in for like every team that I think just needs a, like a good, steady, high excuse me, high character, great leadership kind of guy at the point. He's just going to be my my. I'm gonna send him to all thirty teams probably. Howard, you have just been talking everything that Cameron wants to hear, you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll do one more and then I'll hand it off to my friend Justin here. Um, let And, you know, I think you've done a nice job kind of breaking down the kind of roster and uh, the various concerns around that. So let's go this way. Let's pivot this way. Um, in terms of evaluating as a success or a failure, you mentioned that it's entirely possible that the Celtics could basically run it back with a, almost an identical roster heading into next year. So let's then talk about the on-court product and what we can expect for the Celtics' plan of attack next year. As far as their growth and development on the floor, what would you constitute as a success 
heading into next season in terms of the basketball you're seeing on the court? And what would you constitute as a failure for this team? Success is a championship and failure is anything less. Yeah, fair I enough. Mean, <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I don't say that lightly, and it feels very fucking hot takey to say. But like, where? Like, there's nowhere else for them to go. They've the, the core has been together for years. They've been to multiple conference finals. They've been to an NBA finals. They 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 were in a position to possibly take control of that NBA finals, and they 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 failed. Um, they didn't get back to it. They have, again, by league consensus, and when I say that, it's not like I've pulled all 30 teams, but you make the rounds in the later stages of a season, and everybody kind of had the same view of this. Like, yeah, the Celtics have the most talent. It's the Celtics or Bucks. We like the Bucks. We like what they do. But if you're asking me who's got the most talent, it's the Celtics. Like, that's the way those conversations uh, usually went. And so there's nowhere to go but championship, right? Like, it is championship or bust. And, and look, that's to their credit. There's only a handful of teams where you can point to and say, championship or bust for that team right the nuggets are now there because they want it right you wouldn't have said it a year ago but you're, you're going to say it now you have some other teams where it's just like championship or bust for the lakers because lebron's only got x number of days left in his career right um it's championship or bust for the clippers because they went on all in on Kawhi leonard and paul george and have not even made it you know to the finals yet um it's championship or bust for the warriors because you're trying to, to still make the most of what is left of steph curry's career I, you know, I don't know that that many more, like the Bucks, probably the Sixers, you could say that. So what is that? Six, seven teams um, that everything short of the finals, at, at least the finals. Right. And the yeah. Celtics have made it. So I'm going to put the bar higher for them. It's championship or bust for, for a lot of these other teams. I just mentioned finals or bust would be good for a lot of them. Right. They just want to, you know, like the Embiid would just be happy to get there. But yeah. um, I don't. Like I say, I, I hate feeling this hot takey, but it, I, I think it really comes down to that. Fair enough. I'm going to needle you just a little bit uh, just to get more on to like really the kind of granular X's and O's levels in terms of like their development, say like of, you know, their offensive system or their defensive game plan. What would constitute a success or a failure there? I, like the, the, you know, defensively, I really have nothing. I'm not, there's not, I'd be, I would feel nitpicky, but offensively, look, I mean, it gets back to my um, mythical Mike Conley uh, <laughs> that I wanted them to have. They just need a a a, a um, system isn't even the right word. They need an understanding. They need a philosophy. They need a framework that um, that everybody feels uh, comfort and a buy-in, where you understand that the ball moves, players move. And we're not gonna we're not gonna just rely on isolation and and pure talent to bail us out of every given situation. Or we're not going to we're gonna hold guys accountable when they're taking us out of things and and making it too much about um, a one on one challenge. Like I just they get bogged down. They they start playing hero ball. Um, and look, I'm not a coach. I can't sit here and devise you an offense that will make the most of, of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and that supporting cast. But what I can say is you you watch them sometimes and it's just they're frustrating to watch because you can just see it. They're not getting the best shots. They're not leveraging their two stars to make life easier on both each other and on the guys around them. Again, this is not a team you look at and go like, oh, they just need more shooting around those guys and they'll be fine. No, they've got 
sufficient. Everybody wants more shooting, but they got a sufficient amount of shooting. You're not looking at it and saying like, there's, there's some critical piece missing. Right. Um, it, it's, it's just a matter of, of, to an extent evolution of their stars a lot of it is just the responsibility that they have to make smarter plays um and again if it, if it's going to come to personnel or system it's really just about all right let's have a system where there's a little bit more ball and player movement and a, and a maybe a, an actual point guard who can enforce it yeah all right sounds good to me well i'm going to swing <laughs> you over to justin here to take you through the next part of the rubric I have a suggestion uh, to make a little more current, maybe your suggestion about the the prototypical point guard, and that being a Chris Paul type point guard. This is just the the, the Cameron uh, victory lap show, uh, but I digress. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. Uh, he, he, you know, probably isn't coming to the Celtics, but the possibility does loom out there, depending on how things go elsewhere. Uh, as far as the starters go, I mean, there's the whole open question of who the stars are even going to be next season with Al being basically 37 years old. Uh, Derek White, maybe staying in the starting lineup, maybe going to the bench. Uh, if you could give me a rubric about the two most important starters on the Boston Celtics next season, what success or failure looks like for them. Obviously I'm talking about Jalen and Jason. Uh, that would be, I think a good place to start. If you want to add in any other observations about what you want to see from theoretical Celtics starters next season, that's welcome too, but I won't put you on the spot for all of that unless you want to. I mean, if a full healthy season of Robert Williams would help, right? Indeed. Um, <laughs> uh, Al, Al, Al Horford uh, uh, finding the fountain of youth would help. Um, I mean, the thing is with Horford, like as long as you can keep his, you know, manage his minutes, right. Like he's, he's pretty sturdy and, and like what he does, listen, I mean, but if you start to lose a little bit of, of your, your lateral foot speed, like his, his ability to, to defend the way he does across multiple positions starts to fade. But like, I think a lot of what he does is going to endure and, and big guys tend to, to age better than young guys. And if you're not relying a ton on athleticism and, and, you know, you know, uh, tricky ball handling and blowing guy blowing past guys um you're you're fine so al horford i think i think he'll age he, he's he has aged well and i think he will continue to um I, like jalen brown jason tatum it's it's the obvious things right like <laughs> jalen brown should be spending the, the whole offseason working on his handles um and but i also just think like again like whatever your limitations are in this league um you could be limited as a ball handler and still make good decisions with when the ball comes to you. Um, it's in terms of reading the defense, in terms of reading the situation, in terms of knowing um, what your best option is in a given, in a given moment. And I, I, I think we've seen enough of Tatum and Brown to know that they know they're really smart about the game um, until the moments that they're not. And that sometimes impulse takes over, you know, uh, we're, we're in a, and the brain shuts off, right? Like sometimes it's just a matter of, of the emotions or the desperation of the moment. Um, I, I, like both of those guys are really talented. I love watching those guys. I, they're, they're, they're great players. They, you, you never know when everything is going to click into place in this league for a guy. Um, and I, and I, I just think that for them, I don't know, like, so to your, to your rubric model, like what's success Success is just coming back that much better and smarter about the way you play the game, I guess. Like, I don't, I, it's not, I don't have a laundry list of like, you know, 
what they need to work on. Um, but I think we all know, like, like the, those are two guys who at their best are, are one of the most feared tandems in the league and they play both ends of the court. And then sometimes they get into these little ruts and the offense gets stagnant and they, you know, and you, and you sit there and you wonder what, you know, wh where was all that growth that I saw the previous year or, or two years. Right. But um, player growth is not linear in this league. Anything that we forgot about the starters, any lingering positional or depth concerns you can think of that the Celtics need to address to be successful next season? I just wonder what happens with Grant Williams. Um, and, you know, if, if you're, if you're losing him um, and there are going to be teams out there that I think throw a lot of money at him, probably um, I don't buy a lot of it. I'm not saying he's been, anyone's going to max him out, but like, when you already have a high payroll and you're trying to keep a guy, almost anything that somebody else offers him is going to feel like a lot. Um, but if he's gone, like, how do you replace that? And does a healthy Gallinari do enough there? And, and you know, he's not the defender or, and he's not as beefy as Grant. Um, he can replace some, some, some shooting uh, at the position. Um, I think Gallo's probably past his, his, his small forward days. He's probably strictly, or even small ball five or however you want to do or define that. Um, but, um, but yeah, can you just plug him in or are you now packaging him and somebody else to try to, to find your Grant Williams replacement if you lose him? Um, and I don't know what it's going to cost to keep him, but that would be one of my primary concerns. I think that is the source. The thinking is probably the same within the Celtics organization without any knowledge on my part, but from what we're hearing about the chatter about potential sign-in trades being explored, specifically in some cases connected to uh, big men or likely connected to big men in the case of the Pacers, I think that is definitely something that they are also thinking about. Uh, Cam, anything we want to cover that I haven't mentioned? No, uh, I guess I have three thoughts. Um, first, to frame all of this, talking to people who cover the Sixers, they haven't been to a conference finals in 20 something years. So Howard, I think your frame of like, don't take this for granted is pretty important. Um, it's an embarrassment of riches to have these problems in the NBA. Um, winning is really, really hard. And the Celtics, Oh no, they might lose Grant Williams. Like they're still a prohibitive, you know, conference favorite. So yeah. um, we'll do our due diligence all summer long, but I think that that's worth noting. Um, Howard, I'm going to selfishly hold you for two more questions, and they have very little to do with the Boston Celtics. Um, the first, um, so I uh, went to my first conference finals in 2017. I was covering for a site called Celtics Hub. And covering the NBA is an interesting balance of you have to play it so cool and act like you've been there, but it's also like the coolest thing in the world. And I'm trying so hard to play it cool, and I'm sure you don't remember this. I helped you get on the Wi-Fi, and afterwards I was like, whoa, that was so cool. I helped Howard Beck get on the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Uh, so, Mr. Beck, do you thank have... you for helping me with the Wi-Fi? What? Why, why couldn't I get on the Wi-Fi on my own? What the hell was wrong with me? Uh, no comment. Um, well, in <laughs> Vegas, similarly in Vegas this past summer, Alonzo Morning helped me get on the Wi-Fi. <laughs> wow! Another the the NBA is wild. Um, That's a much bigger deal. <laughs> well, I selfishly wanted to ask: Do you have a moment, either uh, way past or even current, where? you felt a little starstruck or awestruck at what you get to do for a living? Um, you know, you get jaded over time and I've, this is 26 seasons now. So um, it's, it's very rare to meet like a player who I'm going to be awestruck by. 
Um, if Michael Jordan walked into the room, not that he does media very often, if ever, um, I might be, it would take me a minute probably to get my bearings. Like if I were talking to Michael Jordan, I'll admit that. Um, I was always struck whenever Bill Russell was in the room. I never actually met Bill Russell, unfortunately. Um, and during my years of covering the league, when he was around, he wasn't around a lot, but especially these last several years when the, the NBA made sure to bring him to a lot more things and, and get him out there. Um, because he's in such demand, I like, I just, so I'd want to be respectful of him. I never, you sometimes have that moment where you're like, God, I want to go introduce myself and say hello, just because I want to meet the man. And then it's like, you know what? He's got all these people around everything else. And especially once, you know, in recent years where his, his health is a little bit, you know, uh, in, in question, he's, he's clearly got less energy. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I, I, so I never did. Um, but in terms of like, starstruck or or having that moment with people I'm, I'm trying to think like not yeah not nothing immediately comes to mind i i i reached a point a long time ago where i realized like athletes and musicians that i love like there's something like there's still something there like i've lost a lot of the mystique uh, that came with being a sports fan in my previous life i don't consider myself a fan now and haven't for a long time so it's it's just different i i re i don't view the the games and the the and the athletes themselves through the same lens i admire the hell out of what they do um and their commitment and their professionalism and their talent and all that goes with it but i i i'm, I'm long past the point of of feeling that same offer them as i would if say and pardon my uh old man dad tastes but like if michael stipe walks in the room i i don't even know if i would function well uh that would be the lead singer of rem for anybody who doesn't know that's my favorite band so like you know dave Grohl walks in the room although dave Grohl seems like the coolest easiest dude to talk to in the world probably um but if Grohl walks in the room that is going to affect me in a much uh deeper way than when you know uh you know i don't know anybody else, any 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 player walks in like i've i've spoken to lebron james a bunch of times like i'm not saying that as a bragging point just like that's just normal that's yeah. just part of my job um how, but michael you know, stipe how, that's a pedestal man that's how, howard i'm really just surprised that you've been able to keep your composure you know dealing with me as a touring musician <laughs> well it's been impressive to watch given given what you just said <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I do my best. I, I take a lot of it's a it's a lot of breathing. It's breathing exercise. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think also seeing NBA players in context makes sense. Like one time, CC Sabathia was in the back halls of a Celtics game, and I was so surprised that it felt um, really interesting. But then you see an NBA player, and you're like, yeah, that's where they're they're meant to be. Um, okay, let me do our back end stuff, and then I have one selfish question uh, that I'd love to pick your brain, but you could give me a non-answer. So, uh, this episode of the Celtics Lab Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And better help, you deserve to be happy. Alex Goldberg plays bass for Divine Sweater. Catch him on tour. Howard Beck, I just established we've only met once, but hopefully maybe I'll see in Vegas. Um, I suspect you have a strong opinion about what's happening with the Oakland Athletics, and I can't help myself but to ask. Um, I will tell you that I think it is so foul what the state of Nevada are doing and what the MLB is doing and what Oakland uh, Athletics as an organization is doing, but you don't have to have that same opinion, Bob. But I can't help myself. What do you think of that mess? No, listen, um, I, I grew up in San Jose. I was born in Oakland. Um, I'm a Bay Area guy. Oh, I didn't know guy. that. Okay, great. Yeah. Bring it on. My my favorite team um, during, you know, my, you know, whatever, teen years, junior high, high school and, 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 in, and through college um 
you know, the Niners were my main team. Uh, I was a huge NFL fan and it was probably the A's right after that. Uh, and I grew up in San Jose where it was like, you, you kind of didn't have to pick between San Francisco and Oakland back then. You could just kind of root for all the Bay area teams. The sharks didn't exist yet. Um, so I never became a hockey fan and they, they, you know, they came into being long after I had left San Jose, unfortunately, um, who knows, I could have grown up a big hockey fan. Um, but it was the Niners and it was the A's and it was the A's of like Canseco McGuire, Dave Stewart and, you know, Dennis Eckersley, uh, Dave Henderson, that that whole era. And, you know, they make three straight World Series. I love the A's. And I actually, as much as that ballpark got criticized back in the day and continues to, to this day, which is why part of why we're, we are where we are. Um, it was actually a beautiful place to watch a game on a nice summer day before the Raiders came back. The Raiders came back and Al Davis plunked that big fucking concrete monster in center field, which destroyed this beautiful view of the foothills and took a, a ballpark that granted did not have a lot of character and was certainly of the old school, you know, multi-use baseball football stadium from the past that had gone out of fashion. But it was actually a nice place to watch a ball game. Um, so, you know, listen, I... Again, as as a jaded sports writer, I kind of look at these things now and just go, "This is this is just the world we live in, man. Like this is what happens." Mm -hmm. I've seen teams move. I've seen NBA teams move. I've seen the Sonics, you know, abandon Seattle and how heartbroken Seattle was and remains. I saw, you know, again, Northern California guy. I watched a lot of Kings games and especially during my Laker beat days, all those Lakers Kings rivalries um, that or that rivalry and all those series they played. Great appreciation for how much. Kings fans, how passionate they were about their team. And to see them come this close to losing the Kings to Seattle before Stern stepped in um, to, to see, you know, so I, I, I have great sympathy for fans, but I'm also kind of, a, you know, I've become this kind of jaded realist where it's like, this is what, this is what these billionaire owners do, right? They, they, uh, they go in, they make demands, you don't get the public funding, they take the team. And there's, there's not a lot that the league's, and the municipalities can do. Um, could Oakland have done a better job over the years and the Bay Area have done a better job of the years of trying to find different ways to make it work for the A's? There are people who are way better qualified than I am to, to, to speak on that. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I live in New York and have for the last 19 years um, and haven't lived in Northern California for even longer than that. Um, so on an emotional level, as a Bay Area native and as somebody who who rooted for the A's in in my, my pre-sports writing days back when I actually could be a fan, um, it, it'll be a little heartbreaking to see them go to Vegas if that comes to pass. Um, by the time the Raiders did it, it was like, whatever. Like the Raiders, they left, to, they went to LA, they came back, they screwed 17 different cities along the way. Um, and then they went to Vegas. Like if you're, I, there's a part of me that feels like not to be too, uh, you know, um, mean spirited about it. But like, if you were a Raider fan after all that, like that's your own fault, man. You, you see what these guys do. This is like every 10 to 15 years they're moving again and screwing somebody and demanding a ransom to do it like whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Major League Baseball, I think, as as well as um, the A's current owners, uh, everybody could have done a lot better job to keep them there. Um, but it, I, I'm not again, I'm not as steeped in the in the the technical details of, of you know, what was feasible, where anybody failed. Um, I haven't covered it, but. Yeah, um, it it it's uh it's a shitty situation. Um, I I I've sometimes thought there needs to be quite a, kind of a fan bill of rights, and I've often also thought that like if a team leaves a city, they should have to leave everything behind. 
you know, like the the Thunder reinvented or re you know were rechristened as the Thunder when they get to Oklahoma City, but they still have all the Sonics records in their record books. Yeah, and it's weird. And like the whole the Hornets Pelicans Bobcats thing is like the strangest <laughs> thing. I remember trying to explain this to my daughter once when she was really small about how well, see, we had the Charlotte Hornets, but then they moved to New Orleans, and they were still the Hornets, but then the New Orleans Hornets. But then Charlotte got a new team, and they were the Bobcats. But then the Bobcats wanted to become the Hornets again, so then the Hornets became the Pelican. Like it's it's insanity, right? And then you like you look at the basketball reference page, and it's like I don't even know who's where am I attributing these records to? It's it's anyway. Um, I'm rambling, but I I uh, I think um, I think cities and fan bases are owed better than what they get. Um, it also brings me to my my proposal that I once threw out on my podcast years ago when I was doing the the uh, Drunk with Power podcast with uh, with Zach Lowe and Rachel Nichols, and we were going around making our mostly unrealistic proposals for how the game could be improved. One of one 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 of my pet uh, proposals that I know will never happen in the history of the universe is owners should basically have term limits and to get renewed, like you have to have some approval by some percentage of your fan base and the other owners. Um, and yes, I had certain owners in mind in certain sports, uh, when I threw that out there, but I think like a, if you, if you've owned a team for 10 years, you're not a, you, like, you don't own it. It's not like owning the coffee shop down the street. You're a steward, you're a caretaker, you own it until it's time to sell it to the next person, but it belongs to the city. It belongs to the fans. And there needs to be a more, like everybody agrees that there's a social contract in the way that I just described it. It belongs to the city. It belongs to the fans, but there's no legal mechanism for that. And I think, frankly, there should be like these, these, these are, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a public, uh, uh, phrase I'm looking for. It, it belongs. Util- to- it's a utility. It's infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, Nevada wants to spend $380 million on this baseball stadium. To your point, the city owns that the state owns that just as yeah. much as any one ownership group owns the branding. But spiritually, um, the a team belongs to the fan base, right? Sure. Like you cannot possibly conceive of the idea of the Boston Celtics becoming the Memphis Celtics, and it, it, like it, 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 like it, it's it's ridiculous to even think about. And there will probably never come a day where Boston has to worry about losing any of its teams. But, um, you know, we we've seen it so many times um, with so many franchises across all of our major sports, and 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 a lot of those you would have thought it would have never happened. Right. No one, you know, this is dating myself, but no one thought the Baltimore Colts could ever be anywhere else until one day or one night in the middle of the night, they drove off for Indianapolis. Um, it's yeah, just, I think that's a, yeah. I mean, to your point, what the A's and what Vegas are doing is not without precedent that, uh, it, it's worth being a little jaded because we've seen other organizations do something like this and other cities do something like this. Um, but there's so much charisma with, the Oakland A's and there's there's no charisma with Las Vegas with respect to people from Las Vegas so it feels I don't know there's something extra corporate and horrible about it um yeah but I'm glad I I'm glad I asked I mean there's no bigger bully pulpit in the NBA than the Celtics Lab podcast so hopefully this <laughs> helps get your idea off the ground um Howard Beck you're a pull market you don't need to market anything but I'll tell folks to check you out on GQ and um you're very generous with your podcast time here and elsewhere so um, coming soon to a podcast near you, Howard Beck. Uh, Mr. Beck, the thrill is all on this side of the screen. Thank you so, so much. No, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Appreciate it.
Likewise. Sure. Uh, like and subscribe, everyone. Bye, Justin. Bye, Alex. Uh, check out Divine Sweater in Montreal this weekend. And we'll catch you later. Adios. Peace.